Good morning, friends. Welcome back. I'm glad you're here. Uh, another nice day. <laughs> Lou, hey, good morning. How are you? I could use 10 more degrees around here, but yeah, it's, yes. it's fine. <laughs> cold there, huh? Yeah, it's cold out there. Yeah. Any day, it'll turn around and start getting warmer again. Yeah, almost like flipping a switch. That's the way it works up here. Yes, yeah. for sure. And then all of a sudden, it'll be very hot. That's right. Everybody will be complaining about how hot it is. <laughs> no, I hate that. I don't like that. <laughs> so, friends, we are going to be talking today about continuing our talk on the uh, various yagnas, uh, which is from Chapter 4. We left off uh, last time at verse 28. So today we're going to be starting at verse 29. And you remember the basic premise of this whole thing is that you have an ahuti, which is an offering, which you do. And then whatever you offer it to kindles up like the fire when you pour a cup of uh, butter on it. And that in itself starts to burn away your vasanas, your desires, so you get spiritually uh, more developed. So in verse 29, Krishna says, others sacrifice as sac others sacrifice as prana, which is the outgoing breath. You've all heard of prana, whether you're in India or the United States or anywhere in the world, prana, we you refer to, we think of it as breath, which is one thing that it is considered in Sanskrit, mm -hmm. but it also refers to the internal energy inside one's body. But over here, they're referring to it as prana, which is breath. And he says they sacrifice prana, which in this means the outgoing breath, the exhalation, into apana, which is the incoming breath. So you sacrifice the exhalation into the inhalation. And again, the inhalation into exhalation restraining the courses of both the inhalation and exhalation. Therefore, some, he says, are absorbed in pranayama, which is breath control. So basically what he's saying is that you're offering the exhalation as an offering, and the inhalation is the fire kindled. Mm. So recognize that until you finish your exhalation, you cannot inhale. You can't do both at the same time. So <laughs> your exhalation... When it finishes, automatically the inhalation is kindled. So you're offering up the exhalation in order to get in the inhalation. And in the process of doing that, you're sustaining the prana, the life force within yourself. And that is a yagna that he says. So what this inhalation exhalation is a metaphor or symbol of is other intake and output from your body. So he... In everything, it's very succinct because the Gita was not written down. It was spoken. And there's just so much you can expect somebody to remember of these verses over thousands of years since mm -hmm. it wasn't written. So he just uses a little bit, and then you have to expand on that. So he's talking about exhalation and inhalation. But essentially, he's making meaning any form of intake, such as food or smells or sights, when you take in something and you take out something, you take in food, you excrete waste matter through your organs of action. Whether you urinate it and you're urinating out the toxins or you defecate it, you're defecating out the toxins. Those are waste matters that the body gets rid of as you take food. And in the process of this digestion or inhalation, exhalation, depending on what substance you put into your body, depends on how your prana is going to react. So you eat garbage. Yes, you're going to take 
in bad food, your body's going to react in a toxic way. You breathe toxic fumes, your body's going to, your prana is going to react in a bad way. So he says, how you breathe, what you breathe, what intake you have in all your senses, anything that you intake depends. And in verse, in chapter 17, he's going to describe to us what is the proper intake of good uh, material and what isn't. So that refers to intake or output besides the breath. And he also then goes into the fact that prana is the link between the mind and the body. The mind and the body, the link between it is the prana, which is the life energy. Mm -hmm. The only thing we can recognize is that all our cells, regardless of what we're doing or whether we think it or not, it's the prana that makes us have constant heartbeat regardless of whether we tell it to beat or not, constant breathing, regardless of whether we tell it to breathe or not. If you have a cut on your hand, if you're not hemophiliac, then your clot, clot automatically develops. Who does all that? Everything is done by the prana, mm -hmm. the life force within you. You don't have any control over it, but there's a connection between the mind and the body. The pranas are affected by the mind. So if your mind is very depressed, because of some major tragedy, your prana is depressed. And if your mind is happy, prana is happy, and vice versa. Prana has an effect. So it is a bridge between the mind and the body. Thing is that we cannot control all the pranas within ourselves. We can't control the bleeding of the uh, hand. I mean, some yogis can, but most of us can't. What we can do is to control the breathing. So the... Gita and the yogis actually developed a technique called pranayama, which is the breathing techniques, in order to control the breathing properly so that you can have a little bit of control over the prana. If you can control your breathing, you can't control other things. But by controlling your breathing, you're also controlling your heart rate. I don't know if most of you know that, that there is a definite correlation between the breathing rate and the heart rate. So if the breathing rate is... If the heart rate is 80, mm -hmm. your breathing rate should be 20. Two is to four. Sorry, one is to four. 20 times four is 80. Right. So if your breathing rate, because when you get anxious, what happens? You start to breathe fast. And your breathing goes up to, say, from 20 to 25 or 30. And your heart rate goes up correspondingly to yeah. 120. So 30 times four is 120. So you can reverse it. When you get anxious, when you get depressed, when you get sad, different things happen. If you control your breathing rate, then you can also control your heart rate, which in the long run is good for your prana, good for your health, good for you. Breathing in, in Sanskrit, is called purak. Breathing out is called rechak, emptying out. Holding the breath while out is called bahi kambak. Holding your breath while in is called antak kambak. So, by pranayam, which is the breath control, you can clean the stuffiness in your mind. So if your mind is stuck on certain things, you air it by this breathing pranayam. You get rid of certain stuck, bad thoughts, and the body also is helped by pranayam. So that is verse number 29. Verse number 30. This is the basis of everybody talking. When everyone's talking about mindfulness now, the whole mindfulness routine, or meditation, it's it's about controlling your breathing. This is the this is the basis of this. 
Oh, good, yeah. good. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that. I thought of mindfulness as a totally different uh, way. But the to way think of yourself at that at that present time. But you're right. But people who want to get into that, when they tell you to get into that state, or when they tell you to to approach meditation, first thing they tell you is to control your breathing. Okay, that's, that's so one pranayama, of the first parts I guess, of the exercise. is getting yeah. caught up in this uh, in the Western world right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. In, in yeah. India. From the time I was a child, we were taught about pranayama. You you block one nostril, breathe in through the first nostril, hold it, hold your breath for a certain period of time while you're saying the mantra, yep. open the other nostril, let it out. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, and that's part of this too, that when they talk about the breathing exercises, normally there's a point where you exhale completely and hold that for a while, or you inhale and hold that for a while. That's usually part of the breathing exercises yeah. that yeah. they suggest. Right. Yeah. All right. So verse 30. Thank you, Lou. Yeah. Verse 30, which is the last of the 12 yagnas, which we started back in uh, verse 25. It says, control your intake of food, air, smell, sight, sound. We talked about all this before. The proper regulation of the intake, intake of these creates strength within. As we said before, proper intake of air, oxygen, good, clean air, not toxic air, good, clean food, good, clean sights, good, clean smells. All of this affects your prana. By controlling your food intake, you can regulate your body and your mind. Your body, your mind, your intellect is directly regulated by what you eat. And in the 17th chapter, we will talk about what you eat, how you should eat it, uh, what time you should eat it, what kind of food you should eat. It's all given in there. Right. So the first quality of that, what you intake, is the quality of the food. So there's sattvic food, rajasic food, and tamasic food. So if you eat dead food, as they call it, classified as dead food, then you feel lazy, you feel dull. Um, if you eat spicy food, um, you feel rajasic. You want to do action. And if you eat non-spicy, bland food that is alive, freshly cooked, then you feel very calm and uh, equanimous. So the quality of the food is the first. The second is the way in which that food is acquired. You feel proud. You've worked hard. You come back with a couple dollars in your pocket. You use it on the way to go to the market, buy some fresh vegetables and food. You come home. It's cooked. It has a different connotation in your mind than food that is stolen or uh, uh, obtained illegally. So did you steal it? Did you obtain it by righteous means is what it's talked over here. The way the food is prepared. So if you prepare it in a restaurant for money without love and affection, it has a certain connotation. You prepare it at home by somebody who really cares for you out of love the attitude of the person making the food has a direct effect on how your body, your prana, reacts to it. Food prepared to store, that is, food pre prepared with preservatives, such food gets, quote-unquote, because it's prepared to store, it gets stored in your body. You go and digest it as well. Um, the time at which you're eating this food, so there's given specific times where one should eat certain foods, breakfast, lunch, dinner, which should be heavier, etc. All of this, the attitude with which you consume it. When you eat, I, I remember once I was having lunch with uh, Deepak Chopra, and I was at a table, 
and he was quiet and I was following his example as in India you don't it, there's no martini lunches you don't discuss business over uh, lunch so he was quiet and I recognized that he was following the what we were taught uh, as children mm -hmm. so I was quiet but there was three or four other people and before they even took their first bite they started asking him questions about you know his lectures and things like that and he kept eating after a few minutes he looked up and he said when I'm eating, you should not talk to me. You should not talk yourself. Focus on your food. Focus on chewing, on masticating. Give respect to what it is that you're eating. And that's the attitude and the time at which one should eat. So Krishna says, through food, some people regulate their body and then their mind and their prana. So that is verse 30. Verse 31 is after doing all the 12 yagnas mentioned earlier, the yogi gets the benefit of his sacrifices and takes it as prasad. Prasad is, um, how should I explain it? When you go to a temple, you make an offering of a plate full of uh, uh, fruits, for instance, mm -hmm. sweets and yep. stuff, and the priest goes in, in front of the idol, the murti, and shows it and says, such and such has come and made this offering to you and then takes a small piece of the fruit and the sweets and comes back and hands it to your hands. You put your hands out, he gives it, and you take it with gratitude that this has come back to you as prasad. Right. And you eat it. You don't throw it away. And you don't say, oh, this is terrible. Why should he <laughs> give me this? You you eat it out of gratitude. You accept it, whatever it is. You don't say, well, I gave him four apples and he gave me back one small little orange. You, no complaints. You just take it with gratitude as the leftovers of your offering. Right. So he, that's called prasad. So the yogi gets the benefit of his sacrifices, and he takes it as prasad. He accepts the results of his offering, whatever those results are, as prasad, as is. He doesn't compare with what others got as his their prasad, and therefore in this verse he calls it nectar. Whatever you get, these um, uh, these prasad, because nectar, and partaking of this nectar, this prasad, Brahman is achieved. You achieve self-realization. Not following this is going against nature, if you don't follow this. Therefore, even in this world, you won't get peace. Forget about after this world, is what Krishna says here, hmm. in verse 31. In verse 32, um, there are many varieties of yagna, which is the spiritual practice, which leads you to Brahman. And all of these are mentioned in our scriptures. All these sadhanas are activity-based. These are all sadhanas, means of achieving spirituality. They're all activity-based. These actions are ultimately from our prakriti. You remember we talked about prakriti being the storehouse of right. all our actions from previous lives and this life. That's the hard drive on which everything is based. Our vasanas, our desires, and our actions all go and get registered in that prakriti, and that prakriti is carried with you from life to life. And when you store it in there, it has those same kamnas, these desires, and the same actions that are remembered by it. So he says all these sadhanas are activity-based, these actions are ultimately from our prakriti. The Atman doesn't do it. 
Don't think to yourself for an instant that God made me do it. Atman made me do it. Brahman made me do it. It's you that did it because of your own desires and your actions are desire-based. So each and every action and perception, whether you see something, you smell something, perception and action, you have on a day-to-day basis, whatever it is, offer it to the Lord. Whatever it is that you see, you see something nice, you say, oh God, that is so beautiful. You offer it back. You smell something, you eat something, offer it back. Every action you take, offer it back to the Lord. And what he's saying is that by doing this, you liberate yourself from self-inflicted bondage. So imagine yourself on a stage and you are an actor and you're playing multiple roles. As you're playing these multiple roles, you recognize who you are as the real person. You're not the actor. You're acting as somebody, but you're not that actor. You're just the person who's doing the acting. And when you finish the role, you come away and you say, this is me. Similarly, when you are walking through life on a day-to-day basis, think that you are the Atman. Everything that you're experiencing, everything that you're seeing, you're smelling, you're eating, every action you're taking, think of yourself that this is just passing. It's not you. The Atman is not doing this. You are the Atman. I'm Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. That thou art which is you are the Atman. If you keep that in mind, that you are just like the actor on a stage, that helps you. Verse 33, better than these sadhanas that we talked about so far is jnana, which is wisdom. Better than any action to get rid of this, yagnas, is jnana. Sadhanas are dependent on action and on objects. Sacrifice of the jnana is a yagna. So whatever wisdom you have as you sacrifice it, meaning give it to somebody else, that in and and of itself is yagna, meaning share this jnana, share this wisdom with others. Participate in it by learning it, imbibing it, contemplating on it, meditating on it, make it your own. Once you have it, don't be selfish with it. Share it with others for their good, not for yours. You're not selling it. You're not getting any material benefit from it. You're not using it for fame or anything else. You're just sharing it. And he says that in itself is a yagna, which is of the highest quality because sharing your knowledge is far superior to sharing your wealth, sharing your body to do other things for other people. So dravya yagna was the first one we talked about, which is the yagna having to do with wealth, grain, food, money. You remember that? Yeah. That's at the most gross level. Above that is the tapo yagna, which is the sacrifice of one's physical body, you doing things with your body. And it includes sacrificing your own physical needs for the needs of somebody else. You have one bed in your home, a guest comes in, the guest is in, in the Hindu culture is considered more sacred than God. So guest comes to your home, you say, here, I'll sacrifice my physical needs. I'll sleep on the floor, you sleep on the bed. That is the culture. And and you take pleasure in doing that. Um, then comes yoga yadna, which is your emotions and thoughts, your feelings, and your knowledge. You're teaching the person how to fish rather than giving him a fish. Knowledge of the self, which is jnana yagna, is the most superior. 
So verse 34 talks of the qualities of a student in order to gain this knowledge. So it's what we're talking about so far is to gain the spiritual knowledge. But then Krishna says, what kind of a student do you need to be in order to gain this knowledge? How do you find a teacher? Right. And he says, the teacher will come. The teacher will automatically come as happened in my case. Hmm. I was sitting at home, as you all remember yeah. from my first episode, sitting at home watching football, having no interest in spirituality, feeling despondent that, you know, I didn't believe in God or any these uh, false rituals. And my wife came and told me about Gautam Jain. And I said, I don't believe it. She said, go for my sake, go one time. And I went and it changed my life. It's, and I often think, what would have happened to my life had it just gone on like that if I had not met my teacher, Gautam Jain. And I think to myself that it happened to happen, and Gautam Jain says the same thing, that, you know, when you're ready, a teacher will appear to you. So in today's day of YouTube and uh, mm -hmm. Facebook and uh, WhatsApp and all social media, there's a lot of teachers offering this uh teachings to you and you can participate in all of them not like in the old days where you had to go to the himalayas pick one teacher and then stay <laughs> with him for 10 years right anyway the qualities of a student required for spiritual knowledge the first is pranipata which is devotion you have to be devoted to your studies and to your teacher your guru the second is pariprashna which is questioning Questioning doesn't mean you become argumentative or you fight with the teacher, but it says do not hesitate to ask questions and clear your doubts. That's the quality of a good student. The third is seva. You have to do service to your guru, your teacher. People misunderstand this to say why. Is that why he's teaching you so that he can get something out of this? Right. No. A teacher, we hope, has reached the point where he doesn't need your seva, but he accepts it because he recognizes that when you do service to somebody who's giving you something, you're actually getting rid of your own selfishness. You're showing gratitude towards the teacher, and gratitude only occurs if you're not selfish. Selfishness and gratitude don't go together. Right. You have to have humility, you have to have surrender, and you have to have jignasu, which is the thirst to know. You gotta have that thirst to know, not just go in there with arrogance. And then one, who has the knowledge of the scriptures and has the power to communicate and who has realized the truth has to then spread this to other people. The student approaches the guru with humility and surrender, questioning with a thirst to know, and then surrenders and turns to the guru with service in his research. So that is verse 34. Verse 35 is the effect on the, of this knowledge on your own intellect. How do I know that I have gained this knowledge. After gaining this knowledge, your moha, which is your delusion, your mistaken idea of this world, goes away. What does that mean? So a classic example given in the scriptures is that of a rope and a snake. So this comes up a thousand times. I remember when, when I first started as a student under Gautam Jain, uh, I took another physician with me. He was born Christian, still is a Christian, uh, and is devoutly Christian. And he said, I want to learn more about this. And then as he learned more, he said, 
nothing in what they're saying goes against my Christian values. So he continued to come and practice his both, actually. Mm -hmm. So he said to me after about a year, he says, if somebody talks of that rope and snake analogy one more time, <laughs> he was so fed up with this rope and snake analogy, but it comes up a lot. Yeah. So have I talked about it? Lou? No, we uh, haven't talked uh, about it yet. No, we did. No. Okay. No. So Lou, um, you, you, so imagine that it's like twilight sunset and you're walking home and you see in front of you, what looks to you like a snake. Yes. It's actually a rope but you don't know. Right. You think it's a snake. You look at this and you say, oh, wow, it's a snake. Then you go towards it, you look at it, and and this analogy has deep, deep, deep meanings in many different ways. I'm just giving you the first level, the most superficial level. You look at it and say, ah, I misinterpreted this, misapprehended it as a snake right. when it's really a rope. So what the scriptures say is that all of this world, everything that we look at is all a misapprehension, a misunderstanding on our part of what this is. It's really Brahman presenting itself mm -hmm. as everything around us. Right. That we are seeing it as a snake. We are seeing it as a world when it's really Brahman. We're not seeing it for what it is, which is Brahman. This is just the most superficial level, Lou, and we'll go into this, I'm sure, a thousand more times <laughs> as we get further into this. It's a fascinating example. So your moha, your delusion that this world is what it is, goes away with this knowledge. The knowledge gives us vision to see ourselves and this world in a new way, and that's what happens with that knowledge. And what he's saying is, Please use this knowledge then, as you get better at it, to pass it on to others so that others can also benefit from it. Verse 30, where did we say we were going to stop at verse 35? 35, 35 right? right. So, yeah, I think it's already past a half an hour. Am I right? Uh, 26 minutes, actually. 26. So let's stop here, friends, and we will do from verse 36 onwards next time. Thank you so much. I hope I didn't confuse you even more. No, no. Um, I want to explore the rope and a snake more. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty more examples and analogies where that came from. So friends, thank you so much for joining us. Please join me on Facebook under The Gita, Memoirs of a Psychiatrist. Post your comments, post your questions, and I'll be happy to answer them. See you next time.